0: Today's podcast is brought to you by the Bioceuticals Integrative Oncology Workshop with Dr. Lise Alchela. This full-day program will run between the dates of the 20th and 28th of July across Melbourne, Sydney, Gold Coast, Adelaide and Perth. The intensive class will explore key concepts and therapeutic integrative strategies for breast, prostate, colon and lung cancers, as well as how to support toxicities associated with conventional treatment. By the end of the day, you'll be able to confidently implement this important aspect of patient care into your clinical practice. For more information and to register for this critical event, please visit the Bioceuticals website at biociticals.com.au. This is FX Radio, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And with me on the line again today is Sarah Franklin, registered nurse, naturopath, acupuncturist, who specialises in caring for cancer patients during their therapy. And I would love to welcome Sarah Franklin back to the show.
1: Great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
0: My absolute pleasure. Sarah, now I know that you specialise in cancer support, but you see all types of consults and patients in your practice, and you, uh, you know, as I said, you do acupuncture. So I'm guessing you'd see your fair share of patients experiencing pain. Is that right?
1: Definitely, and certainly with cancer, you see a wide variety of pain. Um, so I guess on the cancer front, um, you've got two two big groups. I guess you've got your acute group that come in with. Um, pain due to surgery or radiation or it's more a transient pain but mm-hmm. that pain that comes on is usually quite severe and comes on quickly and quite hard for them to adjust to um, and then you've got your chronic pain um, which you also see with your cancer patients which is more ongoing and long term and really helping them cope because it's a pain that may not go away for isn't it something that they are going to have to live with for the rest of their life so it's something that you do have to manage in a different way. Um, but then absolutely in um, doing general practice, I see sports injuries and um, just chronic back pain and all um, you know premenstrual pain, migraines you see a wide variety of um, pain presenting.
0: and in, And indeed, with people who have cancer, just the tumour load uh, you know the amount of metastases or something in in the patient's body that can actually present as pain, can't it?
1: Absolutely, and the thing to remember too, particularly with cancer, is that um, when cancers swell, they um, produce like a fluid around it, So, which is what you see with abdominal ascites Mm -hmm. with patients that have abdominal metastasis. So then you end up with fluid collecting that then starts to compress and cause pressure on the organs and the lungs, and the same with brain, um, brain tumors that you'll get a fluid collection around the actual tumor that then starts to push and create pain. As well, um, and you also get, particularly with bone mess, um, you know, bone pain that can travel through, and obviously it affect the spinal nerves as well if it's gone to the spinal cord.
0: Yeah. So about these various patient groups, can you can you give me some little clinical pearls as to how they present? For like for instance, bone pain. The these for instance these uh, patients on aromatase inhibitors. For instance, they feel like they're a hundred years old. Their their bones ache. Can you give me some little clinical pearls as to how the different patients present and what their pain feels like for the listeners?
1: Um, I guess with the with the bone medicine, and definitely yeah with the with the hormone therapies, um, the arthritis. So I guess with more the, um, famara and Arimidex, those sort of guys, with more joint pain. So we yep. tend to see a lot more in the hands and the wrists. Um, you probably see a little bit more in the small joints than you do the large joints, but they do. They just feel stiff, um, very stiff, very sore, where bone pains are more a constant dull ache. So it's more a constant dull ache that they they put up with. So I guess they're a little bit different in that um with the hormone suppressing drugs, it's more specifically joint pain, yeah, where bone pain is more like a generalized ache that they'll get in the area. Um it's probably I wouldn't say it's more intense than one is against the other because such a per- pain is such a personal thing, mm. and I think that's something that I definitely learned through nursing is that you can't judge um somebody's level of pain because we all experience pain differently, that's and right. we all cope with pain differently, so we're in no position to judge whether a person's, person's pain response is appropriate or not because it's such a personal, personal thing and there's so many things that impact on why that's the case too with certain patients as far as other things that are going on. Um,
0: and I think, that's actually yeah. a, I think that's actually a huge issue in medicine is categorising pain as per the type of intervention or the type of, of um, uh, condition that's diagnosed it as you say the pain response is so personal for each person and 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 the, that's the the joke one is the typical you know male's getting a headache versus women getting a headache you know that's the typical joke but it it is actually true
1: yeah and i think um the key thing to remember with i guess thinking more cancer patients is that um there are those contributing factors to their pain response. Mm-hmm. So if they're under a lot of stress or they're anxious or they're depressed yeah. or those sort of things, we know that that BDNF that affects those mood disorders affects substance P, which is a neurotransmitter that communicates pain in the body. So equally, whenever you've got a patient that's under a lot of stress or is quite distressed, their pain, their pain um, is going to be high because they're going to be more sensitive to it just because their whole body their whole nervous system is under pressure
0: due to other things that are going on as well. Yeah. And for our listeners, I'll just point out that substance P is a a substance produced um, with constant sort of stimulation, um, inflammatory stimulants, if you like. Um, And the enzyme that breaks it down is called neutral endopeptidase, and that's magnesium dependent. So we'll go on to this later, but we've spoken just about pain saying it's like apple, but so many causes. Simplicity's sake. Can we focus on maybe some acute pain disorders, conditions, and then some chronic painful ones and talk about your treatments in those?
1: I guess the reality for me is that I would treat acute pain and chronic pain very similarly. Mm-hmm. So you're still dealing with the same the same principles. Yep. It's just that your dosing dosages is probably smaller. So with acute pain you're probably going a lot harder. Mm-hmm see if you can settle down the response faster. Um, and the big difference between acute pain and chronic pain is that chronic pain, there's often some residual nerve damage or some residual nerve innovation that's occurring that keeps stimulating a pain yeah. response. So even though the cause of pain may not be there, um, you still have this residual damage occurring, like shingles, for example, mm-hmm. the virus is gone, but then you get this residual yeah. um, nerve pain yeah. mm-hmm. due to it. Um so I guess I guess when I'm treating acute pain, um, I would probably break it down into three things. So one, I'd be thinking anti-inflammatory. Two, I'd be thinking of actual things that help reduce pain. And then three, helping support the nervous system. So as far as the actual nervous system function yep. goes. Yep. Where with chronic pain, I'd do the same thing. I'd look at anti-inflammatory and I would look at Things that help reduce pain and support the nervous system, but then you sort of start to encompass the adrenals and bits and pieces as well, due to um, the long term effects of pain and how it affects cortisol and all the other things as well. Mm. So, I guess um, an example for the would be for acute pain, um, might be for me um, a patient presenting with. say a radiation burn yep. for example so yep. it's quite acute, it comes on quickly it doesn't usually onset for a couple of weeks into radiation but once it starts it really starts to kick in mm. so anti-inflammatory wise I guess for me I'd be using um, your turmeric like your curcumin because it's, it's definitely up there as one of your best mm. available anti-inflammatories at the moment um, your prolytic enzymes because they help reduce tissue damage um, and they help reduce inflammation which can be really beneficial Um, I'd probably look at pain stuff. So when I'm looking at pain, I like to use stuff like, um, your Californian poppy, um, cordalis, Jamaican dogwood, willow bark, um, any of those sort of guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Daniana's quite good. So there's, you've got a, you've got, you really do have a lot of herds that are available, to help with pain specifically yeah. that you yeah. can sort of use in combination. But then you've definitely got to pick up that magnesium, calcium, vitamin D, and probiotics, again, going back to that earlier discussion with the BDNF and the substance P because we know how the gut also interferes with the nervous system with our response to pain. Absolutely. Um. So I guess I'd be using sort of those sort of pain things, Um Arnica, you can certainly have a lot of homeopathic mm. um remedies as well. Um Arnica, trameal, there's there's things out there too, which are other anti inflammatory. Um but i probably yeah, use those sort of pain things and but that I'll also be supporting their adrenals and nervous system as well. So um, you know, your Saint John's ward, Sisifus, um, skullcap, is there another really good nerve herb just to support the nervous system. Astrogalus is another good one. Oh, and now I, I think, never used
0: that for nerves? Yeah, ah. yeah
1: so aspergallus is quite good for for those sort of things too.
0: And and, and I think the one the one that we pigeonhole for other conditions these days, but if you look back in history, it was actually used for something totally different. That's St. John's wort was used to be used for neuralgia. Yeah, yeah,
1: mm. yep. Yeah, and really good for um, viruses too, mm. viral. Yeah,
0: um, envelope viruses, yeah.
1: Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, so I guess that's what I'll be thinking. With acute pain, I'd be hitting with the anti-inflammatory with the, the, the curcumins and the prolic enzymes and those sort of things, supporting the nervous system with what I can use for pain. Mm. Um, and then obviously, yeah, supporting the adrenals and the nervous system. So I guess for me, don't get confused with nervous system when we're talking about it, that there are some herbs that are specifically good for pain, but you still have to support with things that actually support the function of the nervous system as well, not just the pain, the pain effects.
0: Yeah. And what about, you know, the if there's a difference, and forgive my ignorance here, but between the treatment of acute and chronic pain with acupuncture?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess with acupuncture, acupuncture is brilliant. Acupuncture is very, very good for pain. So acupuncture is great for, I guess, probably more acute pain. Yep. Um, it works really quickly. It really helps, um, helps move the muscles around and the toxins around, and it really helps get things moving. I guess with chronic pain, I think the thing that practitioners need to consider is that the long-term cost, because if you're having, for acupuncture to work for pain, you really do need to have regular sessions.
2: Yep.
1: So as an acupuncturist, when you're treating chronic pain, if you were trying to do acupuncture without the herbs or nutritional support, um, the patient would have to have frequent visits ongoing for a long period of time, which would just be too cost-restrictive for a patient. Mm. So. I think, but in an acute environment where you can use acupuncture a few times a week for just a few weeks to really get it under control, and yeah. then it gives you time to get your nutritionals in, yeah, um to sort of pick up the slack underneath um I think that's probably the only disadvantage is that with chronic ongoing pain, you'd have to have regular sessions and that could be cost restrictive mm. um, do you tend- acupunct-
0: d- sorry do do you tend to use more acupuncture in the acute phase with a small amount of nutritional and herbs, and then if it moves into a chronic phase, you'd use less acupuncture and more nutritionals and herbs. Does that does that gel?
1: Yeah, no, that would be true um, unless the pain was quite significant, and then I'd be throwing everything I could at the anti probably more anti-inflammatory yep. side versus nervous system, and on, with acute, so I'd probably be hitting the anti-inflammatories harder um, than I wouldn't. And I would the nervous system. But then as it moves into chronic, more nervous system and maintaining the anti inflammatory
2: Yeah. So,
1: so the, that, that would
0: be right. Let's just discuss some of these herbs that you mentioned and spices. We always called curcumin a herb now. <laughs> but um, uh, things like boswellia and curcumin, let's, let's talk about boswellia. How do you find its action? It's sort of, I think most of the research is with the arthralgias. Um, but there's yeah. also some, some actions on the gut
1: yeah yeah um yeah, so Boswellia ten fact, yeah, it can work as an anti-inflammatory with the digestive system. um I tend to use more Boswellia for arthritis pain, um, and I get quite a really I get a good response with the people on um, the aromatase inhibitors. Mm-hmm. so Boswellia is great for that, as is celery. It's really good for those small joints, um, uh, yes. celery seeds specifically. Now, that was
0: a a key thing that I really picked up. Celery seed was good for the small joints. Yep. Hmm.
1: Yeah, so celery seed, I definitely, if I've got a patient presenting and they're complaining of more wrist pain, hand pain, which you often see with more of the hormones. Yep. um, But you also see with some of the statins as well, the the smaller joint pain. Yep. um, Then I would use celery seed because it's much better for small joints than it is for large joints, Mm -hmm. um, whereas your... Kircumin and Bro and Boswillia, um, those sort of guys are bigger, much, you know, really effective on the big joint. Yeah. Chimric's good for both, but Boswellia is probably a bit more bigger jointed. Um and then obviously you you know, you've got your if you're looking at joints, you've got your glucosamine chondroitin, you've got um your fish oils, all of those other nutritionals as well that you could be using green lip mussel.
0: The, thi- the thing that I think is interesting about Boswellia is when you're looking at those chronic gut conditions, w- inflammatory gut conditions, and they have therefore a secondary sequelae of having a joint issue because of the inflammatory processes that go on, this is where Boswellia really comes into its own, doesn't it? Where you're, you're looking at one treatment that helps another. Same with the glucosamine absolutely. chondroitin, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And carver's the same. So, oh, CARVA is great. It's, such, it's so good on the smooth muscle. It's great for, and it initially was used for gut conditions. Yes. Um, where now it's more known for its effects on the nervous system as a, you know, it's good for pain and sleep and, yeah. and there's been a lot of research to support it for depression um, anxiety. So, yeah. Carvin's another one that's such a, and that, you know, regardless, is the same. It's such a multifaceted herd that does lots of jobs, not just one job
0: yeah and i think this is the danger where where industry and therefore practitioners start to pigeonhole the use of these herbs rather than thinking about them in a holistic fashion it's a real danger
1: absolutely and that's the that's the what we really need to avoid as practitioners is going down that um that more medical philosophy where a is good for b rather than a is holistic and contains a bulk amount of, you know, that's the beauty of using herbs and wine they, and nutritionals because they have multifaceted uses yeah. so we don't have to pigeonhole them um, and that's where I guess practitioners are the same, you can't get pigeonholed as far as my patient's got arthritis so I'm going to give them this because it's specific for arthritis, it's more holistic as far as what on the big picture, what can we be doing to assist that arthritis, whether it be nutritionals to exercise, all the other stuff that goes, you know, heat therapy, all the other stuff that goes along with it to, to support function.
0: Yeah. Let's quickly just delve into these proteolytic enzymes, the, the yep. bromelain, you've got plant-based proteases as yep. well. Because um, yep. like I've used them acutely in tish, soft tissue in, injuries and yep. with extremely good and quick effect and you can really throw them in. Um yep. you know, I, I'm very heroic with an acute injury with this sort of thing. But tell me about your experience. What do you do?
1: Um, yeah, definitely the the um the protease of the bromelain. they're they're brilliant at reducing particularly muscle injury. So mm. any muscle injury I've found to be very beneficial and just that anti inflammatory as well. Um the same thing I probably use quite high doses, so from you know, up to the 1,000. Yep. So you can sort of throw high doses. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I think the protolytic enzymes are something that don't get used enough, but there is a lot of research to support. There's been a lot of trials to support the use of um, the use of those for muscle injury, but also ligament damage as well. Yep. So ligament tendon damage. So it's, it's something that probably needs, definitely warrants more looking into, but we we know that these proteolytic enzymes um, reduce the the substances that cause inflammation and pain
0: yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> um and and likewise the plant-based proteolytic enzymes um, uh, f- not just from bromelain but actually from um, um, fermented with yeasts um they have quite good actions where they're not just helping the resolution process, but they can also have like an antiviral um, action as well. Like for instance, as you yep. mentioned with shingles, so they can be quite um, quite useful for those patients.
1: Absolutely. And we know the bromelains they, you know, the, or the proteolytic enzymes in general, we know that um, they're good for just bigger picture. They're good for cancer. They're good for bleeding. So mm. they help reduce that excessive bleeding. Yep. So. So they're good, and that's why it probably has that effect with the bruising and swelling that it sort of helps
0: reduce that. And I, and I think also on a superficial level, it can help resolve that ecchymosis that that you know the 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 look of the bruise and the yellowing of the bruise over time. It really hastens the resolution of that.
2: Yeah. So for absolutely. people
0: for people who have undergone, let's say, uh, a facial injury, like for instance, I treated a um, a, a lady who was a cricketer. And she copped a, be- a cricket ball in the eye and she had a beautiful top and bottom shiner around it the- like a total periorbital shiner um, and it resolved extremely quickly because she had to go to a wedding <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about herbs like willow bark and and you know the good old willow bark and um
1: well you got I mean uh, you've got your willow bark feed view so there's some of your real old standards so willow bark is is great for pain and great for nerve pain. Um, There's certainly been a lot of trials and there's certainly a lot of looking, you know, willow bark's great for general pain, but it's quite good for migraines and bits and pieces. And that's where it gets tricky with migraines because it's certainly questionable about how many herbs cross that blood-brain barrier to assist with those sort of things or not. Mm. Um, But willow bark is amazing so a great herb feverfew is great but hard to get at the moment so there's some problems getting feverfew from some places at the moment um, California poppy works really well too so that's another herb that's great for pain and Jamaican dogwood
2: um,
1: would be another another great herb that's just very beneficial for helping reduce that pain down and obviously yeah Corydalis as well
2: love um, Corydalis.
1: Yeah, is another one that really fits within the group that can be used in combination with the others.
0: Corydalis was a herb that got pigeonholed as well because it was it was sort of said that it was useful for visceral pain, but I've used it for arthralgias as, as well with really good effect.
1: Yeah, I've used it for general pain, um, so um, for joint pain, but I've also used it for you know your fibromyalgia and types, and they certainly work pretty well.
0: Mm. Talk to me Sorry. about um, Jamaican dogwood because it was a herb that, if you look at the actual Jamaican dogwood, it contains a poison um, for fish. <laughs> and so people go, oh, it's poisonous. <laughs> no, it's poisonous for fish. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a herb well, po- that you have to be responsible with.
1: Absolutely. And there's, a, I guess with the nervous system herbs, there's a lot of herbs that you need to be responsible with. So Jamaican dogwood is a herb that um, you probably wouldn't use long term that you sort of just be careful, you know, um, careful with its use long-term. And Carver's in the same boat with that as well. So Carver's another one that you, you need to be watching long-term. Um, but Jamaican dogwood, I think you just have to be careful as far as staying within the recommended dosages of, of the product that you're using yeah. um, and definitely having closer monitoring of the patient to make sure that you aren't causing any gastric upset. Any you know any nausea hmm. or anything like that, but that's um, probably the big thing with most of your pain herbs. Yep. Um, would be anesthetics, would be a big thing that you need to watch. Yeah, with any of those herbs that really affect the nervous system, is definitely watching patients if they're particularly if they've got acute pain and they're you know they might have an injury and there might be a potential of them having surgery to correct something from that injury. Um, you do have to be mindful of which nervous herbs you are using prior to surgery and when they need to be withdrawn prior to surgery because mm-hmm. um, that's certainly a group of herbs that do have an interference with um, anaesthetics.
0: What about manual therapies? Um, do you use, I mean, you use acupuncture. What about yep. massage? When's it useful and when have you got to be really careful, like, for instance, in, with cording in, in um, breast cancer radiation?
1: Yeah, um, massage is great, so... Physical touch is just great. So it's it's amazing just how human contact can make you feel better regardless of what you're actually doing. Yeah. So I think massage is great. You're certainly able to, particularly with injuries, you can move a lot of toxins around. You can move a lot of damage, get the body to reabsorb some of the damage by moving it around. So I think massage is brilliant for injuries. I think if you've got any tears or any specific sporting injuries, you need to be really careful. If you've got a muscle tear, you wouldn't want to be getting stuck into anything um so i think massage is great i think acupuncture is great when i do acupuncture with pain i tend to use like a tens machine where you attach the electrodes to the needle yes and then you sort of send an electronic impulse between the <laughs> two just to cause that constant contraction relax, relax- relaxation mm. um so i find that's really good um i think tens machines are brilliant too for pain so getting a TENS machine and we know that through using TENS machine that that stimulation to the nerve, we know that sometimes the nerve can just be caught on that feed loop, that pain feed loop and it just doesn't switch off and just become sensitive. So we know through um, the TENS machines, the reason why they work is that it disrupts the um, the nerve pattern, the, the electronic nerve impulse pattern yep. Yep. and that can sometimes help switch off that pain response that can just sort of get stuck on the on switch and not turning off. So I I, I think tens machines are brilliant. Um, obviously, going back to the um, what we're talking about before with the BDNF and substance P, there's a tons of research now coming out about the the impact of exercise and diet on those. So trying to get people physically active as much as they can be. Um, will definitely help with their response to pain as well, Um, and their diet. So if they've got a good diet, their recovery, it's not rocket science, but yes, their recovery from injury would be much greater. But we also know that good exercise and diet will help with that BDNF and help with that um, substance P so that their pain response is not as intense.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Indeed, a poor diet. Extreme, you know, bad fats, satur- um, trans fats, um, lots of high carbs, high sugar. Certainly, feeds pain directly, um, yeah. and and it can be, you know, quite a, a, a. It can make the difference between a successful management using this sort of thing and an unsuccessful management. So, and I
1: think another, yeah, another thing too is that there's a new a new thought in the psychology world. Um, could there's a new therapy that's coming out called ISTDP? I- And their psychology is based very much around chronic pain because chronic pain seems to be something that's becoming in the forefront of medicine at the moment. So all facets of medicine are now starting to focus on chronic pain because I think they're realizing the impact that that has on our society as a whole. Mm. Um, But the the new school of thought is that emotions... can run on the same highway well effectively emotions do run on the same highway as pain runs on so they're all transferring through the nervous system so they're also looking with psychology at are the pain responses linked to emotional responses so can a pain response be triggered by an emotional response vice versa just due to memory memory within the central nervous system
0: Let's talk about those sorts of things. You know, when we're looking about, when we're looking at the treatment of chronic pain, uh, because it it is a huge issue medically. Because they're really worried about the amount of opiates that people are using, and we're talking strong opiates, um, endone, yeah, you know, tramadol things like like that. Um, the amount of what was it? I can't remember the increase in scripts that I saw, but it was quite worrying. So. The worry to me is the chronic pain, and where do we start? We've got to start at the diet, but when we're treating this chronic pain with the mind and the adrenals and things like that, what sort of things do you use there?
1: Uh, well, with the, with those sort of things, I guess it, it, stepping aside from the anti-inflammatory pain-specific stuff, mm. um, I would be looking at you know again, your St. John's Wort, break so like the nervous system, your Withania, licorice, those sort of things. So more adrenal tonics. Yeah. And then, depending on what's happening with your energy, you can sort of use, you know, rhodiola's got a is a great herb, great for um, great for mood, but good for energy as well. Um, your ginsengs, so your Siberian ginsengs, your American ginsengs, your Korean ginsengs—they're all beneficial for mood and for adrenals. So mm-hmm. I guess you just vary vary those depending on what what type of energy you're trying to look for. So versus your... Korean ginseng, you sort of get a bit of a quicker response. Where you're American, you get a really nice adrenal, more consistent energy response. And then your Siberian ginseng is another one, great for energy, but it's also great for the immune system as well. So it's a multi-faceted one. So looking at those sort of things um, to try to settle the adrenals down because we know when the nervous system gets stressed um, through pain or um, and obviously once you're in pain, you become distressed um that then the adrenals the adrenals will start to have issues because it will start to push the cortisol production mm. so it's really important that we manage cortisol um because we know what when the when the cortisol goes that it starts to affect so many other systems in the body yeah um, so yeah really managing that pain and really managing that mood is important that's where you need to be assessing the patient. So acute pain, people can put up with acute pain, but when you're treating someone with chronic pain, that person will wake up every day and go, okay, I've got this level of pain. Am I going to be in pain for a day or a week or a month or a year or five years or 20 years? Mm. So it's a mental mind game for them daily to manage that pain um, psychologically to get through every day. Um, And the problem with chronic pain too is that it's, peaks and flows so unlike an acute injury it gets quite intense and then it starts to, you know you get your peak and then it drops off um with chronic pain a lot of people that struggle with chronic pain don't know how they're going to go from day to day yeah. so yeah. their pain might be okay today but it might be worse tomorrow and they don't always understand why it goes up or down but it's very hard for them to manage their life and their work and their plans because they don't know from day to day how they're physically going to be able to, to cope. So you can imagine how draining it would be for somebody who's in constant pain, yeah, that's right. psychologically, but also on an
0: energy front. Yeah, and, and I think there's two issues there. One is that, that flow and ebb uh, of, the, uh, of the pain daily, depending on other factors. Um, but the other one is that oftentimes their pain is not their, – their cause of their pain is not evident to others. And so they can fall into, oh, they're the pain in the butt. They're the you know they're draining to me to you know significant others around them, so it's it's really this whole education to the family unit, for instance, to say look the pain is real, and it's got to be managed.
1: Absolutely, and because you can't see it, it's it is like you said it's so hard for people to understand, and um, there it is certainly concerning how much opiates are being used. Um, they're certainly becoming widespread, um, but again, as that continues to be an increasing social issue, um, you certainly find that the medications become more restrictive for patients too with their pain. Yeah, so yeah. years ago, heroin, for example, was a brilliant drug in medicine for lung cancer pain. It was a great drug and it had a it had a use in medicine, but because of the social use of heroin, um, it's no longer used. And certainly from a nursing perspective now, the amount of pepidine, for example, we use, in emergency departments is far, 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 far less than what it was when I was nursing 15, 20 years ago. So because of the issues with pepidine on the market, um, again, that's a drug that's very rarely used, so they're trying to use other drugs like fentanyl. And the same thing with morphine being used less and less. So the problem is that as these drugs become an issue in the society, um, it then becomes more restrictive for the medicine to justify using these drugs when they do have a place and they are quite beneficial. Mm. Um I know that it's definitely gaining momentum as far as um cannabis use goes.
0: Yeah, so, no that was what um, I was gonna bring up because it's yeah. that's uh the lobbying is coming back for that, isn't it? And I, I think there was another they were going to have another crack at trying to grow it in at in Norfolk Island.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Norfolk are put in a second application to try and do it. Um but they've I think they've put millions of dollars into it, so there's been a lot of money put into um, trying to get some evidence together for the Australian government, mm. and the government are quite open to it, mm. so it's not as though that they're they're just saying no, so they said they're quite keen to see the results of the evidence mm. um, It's certainly something a lot of other countries use. Um, I certainly have a lot of cancer patients that use cannabis um the cannabis oil mm-hmm. um and it and it's it, it works well. So rather than them taking MS Contin or Endone or um, these sort of things, they find that they manage their pain better with the cannabis. Um, it helps with their appetite, their sleep. It you know it doesn't constipate them like the opioids do. So it certainly has a place. But the problem is that with the patients that are using it, they're getting it from different sources. We don't know That's who's right. making it. That's right. Um, they'll come to me and ask. The dosages and I can't recommend dosages because I've got no idea what the what the what the actual concentration of anything is in it. So it makes it really hard for as much as cannabis is brilliant, it needs to be governed and controlled so that it can be used safely um instead of patients just using their own um sources, I guess.
0: Yeah. And th- I think this is you know, where it must lead. Um like I, I'm I don't get the the hesitancy with medicalizing the, the use of cannabis because we've medicalized the use of of the opium poppy, we've just called it morphine or diamorphine. And so you know, and and so those drugs have been born from that, like endone and um, the other opiates on the market. So I think the whole thing is the groundswell of the research, and then you need to standardize it and restrict its use so that it's not abused like an illicit drug.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and if you can get some good control measures um it can be used quite effectively, um yeah. which you know Canada and certain parts of America and Europe have done um, but yeah i think I think it can be used safely, but it needs to have some governance about it um but i don't personally, I don't deem um cannabis any more um, damaging than alcohol, no as far as um the
0: body goes or as far as its abuse goes so yeah and um, the, the, there's a select few um susceptible individuals to you know psychosis and things like that but then you could get that from anything um so th- that, that, that risk is there anyway um and i'd just like to say for our listeners that um the sydney morning herald reported on the 12th of june uh uh, medical cannabis research, record donation of $30 million, uh, for research at the University of Sydney. So this is definitely a groundswell. It's definitely going to happen. It's just a case of when.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, um, for Queensland, Lawrence Springble, who was the health minister yes. under the Thai government, put in two legislated in Queensland. So we're certainly getting, um, you know, and he was the health minister at the time, so we're certainly getting, um, they're trying to push, push that through yeah. so I just think it's a matter of time but I think it's something that certainly warrant's looking at um, and totally agree heroin um, you know it's the same it's just a it's just a poppy a poppy herb but it's it's interesting that when it when um, heroin first came out they had a, they, they had two choices that or aspirin and they decided that heroin was less dangerous than aspirin because aspirin might cause cardiovascular damage yeah. at the time. So yeah. they called heroin heroin because yeah. it was a heroin at the time for pain. Yeah. And then we turn around now and aspirin's our one one of the medicine's most popular use oh, for
0: cardiovascular prevention. <laughs> so what about music uh, and, and other mind-body interventions, meditation, for instance?
1: I think, I think anything that you can do to encourage your patients to just try to sell that cortisol down. So meditation, music, Tai Chi... Anything that sort of gets them to focus on something else. Mm. Sometimes pain pain patients can just get so focused on their pain that you know yourself that, you know, sometimes you can have a headache and go, Oh, I've got a bit of a headache but then some you know, you start chatting to someone or doing something and you forget about your headache. Yeah. So definitely shifting focus and learning how to shift focus, which is what meditation and mindfulness would do. Um, music therapy, art therapy anything that just gives you another outlet um to just to just get your mind into a different place rather than focusing on that because it can become quite obsessive when you have chronic pain and and it's at the same point I'm not saying that um disrespectfully at all because it's just it's just the way that the disease chronic pain is but Um, it's really trying to get them to focus off that pain as difficult as it is because it it certainly doesn't serve them at the same point.
0: And just a little correction for you there is that I never take the focus off my pain um, (laughs) when I've got a headache. (laughs) It's my pain, and I'd like someone to, to say, there, there, poor bunny. <laughs> that's
1: because you got a man headache.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So what about what about cautions uh, with medications, for instance? Now, you mentioned anaesthetics, which is a real issue. Yeah. Uh, indeed, yeah. the uh, uh, anaesthetics uh, – sorry, forgive me – the anaesthetist society of Australia has put out a paper – um, talking about cautions with regards to complementary medicines and anaesthetics before surgery. And it's a real issue. It's a real uh, responsibility that we've got to have. But what definitely. about with other medicines? What about, say, for instance, with warfarin, with your Pradaxas on the market, with cardiovascular drugs, with thyroid drugs?
1: Yep. So definitely, yes. Anaesthetics would be one of the big ones. One. So obviously, if you have practitioners out there, you need to be checking, checking your contraindications for all these things. But definitely... Um, your anesthetics are a big one because of the nervous system your antidepressants so there's certainly a lot of those herbs that may interfere with antidepressant medications um, and you've also got to look at your other nerve medications on the market now so there's a lot of patients taking Lyrica Lyrica is sort of one of the more common medications being used at the moment for pain
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, now that it's got two years funding um, and you've also got <clears throat> other pain medications like NDEP, um, So you've certainly got to watch your opiates and, you know, Parkinson's medications as well. So there's a lot of nervous system medications that you need to be careful of, epileptic medication. Um, So if you've got a patient with any nervous system disorders like epilepsy or Parkinson's or anything, you really need to be careful with what you're doing because you may interfere with what's happening there. Um, Most of the pain medications are obviously... um, under-indicated for pregnancy and lactation. Um, so definitely really watching what you're doing there with pregnancy. So you're better off to just stick to your magnesium and bits and pieces for those people. Um, your willow bark, for example, mm-hmm. that's a solicitate. So you've got to watch some of your solicitate as well. People to solicitate allergies and rashes. So there's some reported rashes with that one and Jamaican dogwood. Um, what else? I guess with your definitely blood thinners, so when you're looking at turmeric and some of these other guys um, the recommendation at the moment is to watch it when you're taking warfarin example but there's like a list of a hundred things that you can't use with warfarin Um, but at the same point with some of the, you know, there's certainly a lot of literature to say that they may not be as damaging as we think with the thinners but we have to still sit on the side of caution with Within our the information we have, um, just to make sure that you're doing the right thing yeah. for your patient. So, and then, obviously, some of your herds like carver and Jamaican dogwood, you need to you need keep an eye on liver function as well. Um, so, kava, the, most of the forms of carver are fine, but there are some forms that have had reported liver damage issues, so yeah. that's another thing. They're not on the Australian no. market.
0: Yeah, they're not on the Australian market. And, no. I, and I, I'm going to put in a little bit of a, bit of a plug here. We really have to thank um, Dr. Jerome Saras for a lot of this work and the support from Mediherb for this, um, about getting Carver back onto the Australian market after that um, travesty that happened.
1: Definitely, definitely, yeah, and absolutely, you're right. The yeah, the cover was an issue with the alcohol base, but the liquid is in a glitchy, uh, glitchy tract, and you're in a you're and, using a tablet form. It's yeah, fine.
0: Yeah, water, water um, extraction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, the other one too, which um, would be saffron as well for the nervous system. Yes, you haven't mentioned. So,
2: yes, yes. So
1: that's another one that's gaining momentum for pain as well is using saffron. So, but I think. Um, I think when it comes to pain, there's certainly a lot of, if they're on any medications, there certainly is a lot of contraindications to consider. So I would use caution when you're treating patients with pain. A, the medications, if you might be causing interference, but also particularly um, there are higher risk for surgical intervention mm-hmm. So or surgical testing. Mm-hmm. So you certainly need to be careful of anaesthetics um, and the liver just to make sure that that's all okay. And so, obviously um, bowels, just going back to bowels again, would be another consideration for practitioners as far as constipation due to um, pain medication use. Yes. They're really supporting and making sure that their bowel function is regular to prevent toxicity, but also um, looking after the gut if they're using other pharmaceutical anti-inflammatories as well.
0: Well done. Well said. That's actually a real problem, isn't it?
1: There are a huge problem, huge problems. The amount of patients that you see with um, ulcers from... Um, Natu- uh, you know, non-steroidals that they can get over the counter mm-hmm. is is a problem.
0: And I think we've got some beautiful uh, either adjuncts or indeed alternatives for those people that, that can't have, um, you know, those medications um, to dampen the side effects of those medications. So I think that's where the beauty of nutritional medicine comes into its
1: own. Absolutely, and that's where practitioners need to keep an open mind that we need to do all that we can to manage the patient's pain but being realistic that they may require medication. And if that's the case, you need to support adjunctly their their digestion and all the side effects that can occur with that pain medication, but also um, do what you can with the nervous system to see if you can reduce the dosages, dosages of those medications.
0: So well said, Sarah. <laughs> um, Sarah, for, just for our listeners, I'll... I'll throw in a couple of uh, books that people would get some great information from. And the first one for all evidence-based use of herbs and natural supplements is that book, Herbs and Natural Supplements, an evidence-based guide by Associate Professor Leslie Braun and Professor Mark Cohen. And the other one is The Complete Guide to Herbal Safety. Is it The Complete or The Essential Guide to Herbal Safety by Kerry Bone and Simon Mills? They're um, vital books that you've got to have in your clinic.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're amazing books and they're really well laid out and they really um, break down all the scheduling as far as how they sit with all the research.
0: Sarah, thank you once again. I love the way that you take us through you, not just the knowledge of the herbs but how to use them and the safety issues with them because uh, you know, you're a registered nurse and you have that real responsibility to your patients and I really like um, talking to you about that. Thank you so much for joining us again.
1: You're welcome and thanks for, thanks for listening.
0: This is FX Radio and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cooker.